Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. We're going to continue. Uh, we're going to actually broaden, expand our current called book series um, a little bit. And we've been going down this path of what are some books that... Uh, listeners may be intrigued by but likely will not hear but still or i'm sorry we likely will not read <laughs> well but, they have books on tape <laughs> that's true audiobooks but uh but still have have valuable content and might be might be worth um you know ex- exposing and just giving it a little bit of a summary and um highlight to and um we're broadening that out actually today a little bit to uh uh an interview and and one that i think few may be aware of but uh, but again you find you have found helpful and valuable and so I'm, I'm excited to talk through that and uh, and then this is actually of an author who has written a couple other books that we may cover so um, we'll just jump in uh, this is uh, an interview uh, done that was with Phil Jenkins who's again an author of a number of different books but the the interview I believe correct me if I'm wrong but was titled companions of life mm-hmm. what we must learn and unlearn um, and it was an interview done by Books and Culture. So let's uh, let's jump in. What what was this interview about, and why why do you find it meaningful? It was about Western missions, if you want to put it that way, which is understood as evangelization, if you want to put it that way, uh, sending missionaries. So the topic was Western missions. And so when we say Western, we're talking about the way that the European and American Christians tend to view. Uh, you want to call it for nothing else, lack of a better word, evangelization, sharing or taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Sure. And, and which growing up in my faith tradition comprises much of the, the foundational goal or purpose of the faith was mm-hmm. to, to go out and, and bring what, what we had in particular, you know, and, and for me that was non-denominational evangelicalism and, so to bring that to the rest of the world. That's right. Take it to the world, especially the 1040 window, which I guess you can find a, kind of a longitudinal box in the world in which it's felt it is least evangelized. And so there's been many missions groups that have focused on that. And so uh, this interview uh, uh, is based around the idea that... Uh, we would do well to do learning and unlearning. And I like that phrase because that's, that takes from Einstein, who said the uh, essence of education is what we have unlearned. No, Mark Twain, rather. Mark Twain famously said uh, the essence of education is what we have unlearned. And so that's, that alone makes, uh, for our five listeners now, worth it in terms of uh, we tend to think when we come to faith, we now have the corner on truth and everybody else doesn't. So there's very little for us to unlearn, but they have a whole bunch to unlearn. And so uh, Jenkins is provocative, and he upends a, a great deal of that. And has some rather provocative statements in this interview. So 
here we go. But the topic is, if you want to think about it, is you, you want to put in the very cookies on the bottom shelf would be evangelism. And I'm, I'm reminded that uh, not too many years before this interview, um, the uh, probably the lead, um, what would you call it, the pollster, uh, George Barna, who is the equivalent of Gallup, but uh, Bar Barna, an evangelical, polled American Christians of all stripes. And he, his finding is that uh, less than 1% of American Christians will ever lead another person to the faith. Which is worth pausing and saying one more time, less than 1% will ever lead another person to faith. So the reason we're having this discussion, Pat and I, is somehow something that doesn't seem to make sense. Everybody in the Bible who meets Jesus, you know, or comes to know Jesus, always comes away with a mission. You know, not just, mm. that was wonderful, and I'm sure this will entertain me for the rest of my life. There's always a mission. And, um, and yet here we have well over 99%, I can't get well over, but let's just round it up. 99% <laughs> of Christians in the uh, Western enough, world. Enough you know, <laughs> Yeah. That they never come away with, I would say, a meaningful mission. And where I would draw the distinction is you can say you have a mission, but when Barna was examining actual behavior, there again, we're back to the big challenge that uh, Jesus exposes in his ministry is the Pharisees and Sadducees talked a good game. And Jesus said, well, if you believe these things, why aren't you doing them? So a lot of that in, in uh, Jenkins' interview uh, has to do with, um, here's, where we, here's where we would do well to unlearn. And the first is that uh, we want to point out is, he says someday we might even find African or, or Asian missionaries coming to evangelize Europe and North America. Um, that in fact, uh, white Christianity, European and American, uh, doesn't represent the norm within Christianity, whether in racial, social, or economic terms. And over time, this population will be even further marginalized. Jenkins says, by 2050, white non-Hispanics will represent just 15 or 20 percent of the world's Christians. And the world's, quote, average Christian already today looks very different than what you will find in the imagination of Western Christians, because she or he, the average Christian worldwide, will all likely be an extremely poor person by Western standards. With all that implies in terms of access to food, water, schooling, transportation, medical care, and a healthy environment. Nor probably will the average ordinary believer live in a stable nation state in which government is limited by the popular will, and where human rights receive more lip service. Which remarkably, by the way, how Christians lived in the first couple of centuries uh, because of the caprice and arbitrariness of emperors who would just decree one day Christians are a pariah and they are to be martyred, they're to be slaughtered. Um, so first of all, just understand that uh, Pat and I don't represent the uh, average Christian today in the world. 
nor do we understand the blessings, the, ambig the ambiguity of the blessings we supposedly bring, because we primarily bring Western mindsets and Western technologies. And while they have benefits in terms of medical, perhaps stable government, um, they also bring with them technology that we are seeing, especially since this interview yeah, is destroying as gene twins, it destroys generations. So we actually bring destructive technologies that we think are uh, unalloyed goods and in fact aren't. Western Christians don't tend to think much about that. We tend to think about what we have that they lack. So that's, a, first of all, just a starting place is uh, we sort of undermine our efforts, not out of our because we lack good intentions, but because we sort of assume we have all this blessing and we're taking this blessing to the world, especially the uh, Southern hemisphere. Hmm. So it sounds like there's a, there's a question yes. almost of what, what are we, what exactly are we evangelizing? You know, when we, is, do I understand that correctly? The, yeah. Yeah. Are we are we actually bringing the gospel, or are we more being bringing a a Western mindset along with technology? Yes, yes, and uh, you know, again, I go back to Technopoly, where uh, um, an excellent book where he said uh, technology changes how people imagine God. He, it wasn't written for Christians, but just throws in that uh, the extensive use of technology subconsciously. Uh, um, Changes how people imagine God. Now, I come to think of it, I actually saw this uh, firsthand, I believe I said, in uh, China when I used to travel extensively there. And they were talking 100 million Chinese coming to faith. Um, this would have been the aughts, like between about 2006 or seven. I don't know if 100 million came to faith or what have you, but I do know that statistically that was happening in the hinterlands, we call it, the uh, farmlands. Uh, in China, where people live in about the 16th century, many times their standard of living. And so mm. they were bringing in films, uh, Jesus Project would be one, even bring them in on bicycles that could be pedaled to provide power, then you put up a big screen and show a film. Well, if you're living in the 16th century and someone shows up with a movie on a, a stretched screen between two trees, you are blown away. Mm. You try that in downtown Shanghai, you get the point. Problem with this uh, bringing these so-called blessed technologies is, in many aspects, uh, Asian cultures are way ahead of us, and uh, so we we don't see the sort of impact in the cities. That's the reason I was going. That mission to the cities lagged well behind missions to the countryside. And the same thing when I went to India before COVID was they could plant churches and put in wells in. Uh, uh, poverty-stricken rural areas that were living in the 17th century, frankly, which is a very good thing to do, but uh, the gospel couldn't seem to get to first base in the major cities where their 21st century mindset. They're not living in the 17th century. So that's a lot about what he means by there are, uh, there are sort of, a, we have things that you don't have. And the problem down in the world is in a lot of places they go, no, we have things you don't have. And your technology 
doesn't wow us. So that's what he means, first of all, by... He also points out that in, in 2007, anyway, Africans pastored four of Britain's 10 largest megachurches. And Nigerian founded churches was bringing up all over North America. So they're actually making efforts to evangelize us. Yeah. And uh, that's something to think about. So what I want to do is to help listeners is um, this comes, this is sort of a primer, this conversation, to his Jenkins book that came out in 2008. And then I'm going to sort of underline the conclusion that Jenkins comes to in terms of what we have to unlearn. Here's part of what we unlearned. Uh, in 2008, this would be a good book. I think it's worthwhile to read. I think Pat and I are saying we both read it. Is The Lost History of Christianity, the Thousand-Year Golden Age of the Church in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. The Lost History of Christianity, Philip Jenkins, 2008, Harper One. The reason this is uh, helpful why a thousand-year golden age? What happened after a thousand years, Pat? Uh, the Enlightenment. No, the Enlightenment is 1,500 years out from... Uh, this is actually what happens is uh, Islam, starting in the 600s, oh, yes, yes. slowly crushes the church in the Middle East, That's Africa, right. and Asia. And so, which, go ahead. which is really profound because when back to what you said earlier, when we talk about the 1040 window and the Middle East and evangelizing, it's as if the gospel never existed there. That's right. Which is, uh, I think, what's profound about this book, but also pretty eye-opening in terms of how we think about evangelism and, and lost people groups, because this is yeah. an area in which the gospel was once the center. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And becoming the center again. I think that's what Jenkins is saying. Uh, Christianity is exploding in the southern hemisphere. And uh, much of Asia, certainly Africa, uh, Middle East is all in the southern hemisphere. Here, you and I are sitting here in the northern hemisphere. Um, yeah, that's, that's just, uh, it is fascinating. We, yeah, so we think about the book of Acts, you have this uh, Ethiopian eunuch comes up. You know, hey, show me, what, tell me what this means. Yeah. Ethiopia, that's Africa. We forget, uh, we all love to quote Augustine. We forget where did he live? Town of Hippo in Africa. He was African. So you have this, um, this, uh, you have this uh, faith that uh, it's the British intellectual Hiller Belloc who once proclaimed, "Europe is the faith, and the faith is Europe." And this is what Jenkins is pushing against. He goes, "No, it was just as firmly established in Asia and Africa as in Europe itself." And Christians have forgotten this lost history of Asia and African Christianity. What they've lost is this, according to, and will influence this uh, Jenkins' conclusions in this interview. Asian Christianity, which, by the way, stretched all the way to the Nestorian Church, all the way to the borders of China, um, and then even the sixth and seventh century Nestorian Christians pressed eastward. Uh, along the way, they met uh, Buddhist missionaries. And instead of a collision of worldviews, Jenkins writes, there was almost a shocking degree of collaboration between the faiths. Now, that goes all the way back to the church fathers and the idea that the, the divine logos, a seed, is planted in every soul. It doesn't necessarily mm. mean, it doesn't mean they're saved. 
it means we're made in the image and likeness of God. And if you're made in the image and likeness of God, that means there is an aspect somehow in some way of God in every person, not to save them, not to take them to heaven. That tends to be a kind of a Protestant problem as they need to get the heebie-jeebies who are saying everyone's saved. That's how we're saying. Kick those heebie-jeebies right out of your soul for a moment. <laughs> His point was Asian Christians took up what he calls neighborly relations with Buddhists and they collaborated on ways to make for a better world. They were deadly rivals. They were fellow travelers. Now that's fascinating because, you know, a lot of the popular Christian apologists today, one being the late Chuck Colson, said interaction, he viewed interaction with other faiths, quote, as a cosmic struggle between worldviews, between the Christian worldview and the various secular and spiritual worldviews arrayed against it. Jenkins would say, you got to unlearn that. There's not a Christian worldview, first of all. There's a way of seeing the world which is accurate and true. Christians may see more of it, but because everyone's made in the image of God, every other way of seeing the world also sees some aspects of truth. It's not that we're right, our worldview is right, their worldview is secular and wrong. Again, because what Jenkins will point out and others, secular in the early church, in the Middle Ages church, meant simply the, um, ordinary. The actually part of the age in which we live, which had redeeming aspects. Secular in today's world has come to mean bad. So the Christian worldview is good, and the secular worldview is bad. And uh, you would say, at first, there's no such thing. Hmm. It means, as C.S. Lewis pointed out, that every faith, I think this is from God and the Doc, every faith gets part of the story right. He said, I couldn't believe in a religion where mine is right and the other 99% are wrong. He says, in fact, everyone gets part of the story hmm. right. And so the first thing we have to unlearn if we're going to do uh, missions, he said, we've forgotten that Asian Christianity brought to the table what's called collaboration. So put in simple terms, because um, Jenkins does say, you can talk about, you know, reaching Guatemala or Cuba, all these places. But, he's, uh, but he said, but we do well before we set out around the world to do this stuff is find those communities here. In, America, in the United States and find out how we can collaborate with them here. And I think there's something to be uh, said for that. So Asian Christianity had to do with collaboration and African Christianity had to do with translation. In other words, according to Jenkins, they put the Christian faith in the language of ordinary people, which I find fascinating because that's what you see in the book of Acts when the Ethiopian eunuch said, I read it, but I don't understand it. And what Africans were particularly good was uh, translating the gospel, having to do with all aspects of life. Uh, they put it right down, they put the cookies on the lower shelf, made it accessible. So you have collaboration mm -hmm. and you have translation, which, yes, we have whole ministries that translate the Bible, and that's an important part. 
But I think his point is translate the whole realm of Christian thought. Mm -hmm. The meaning. Yeah, that's right. The meaning into uh, images and language. By the way, these are two uh, reasons why when I launched Clapham Institute, I chose Clapham because they collaborate with people of faith, no faith, differing faiths, and they translate the gospel into images, especially the uh, slavery movement, into images which were accessible to all. So that's what he means by uh, mission. Now, to cut to the chase seat, and by the way, he does mention there are some ex- uh, um good movements in this direction. The two he mentions back in 07 is the Alpha Course, which uh, derived from what he calls a highly secular Great Britain. And something to be said for that, because that's not a Western approach. It simply brings people together for a uh, the ground is level conversation over aspects. And then he also talks about the Thomas Mass, which comes out of the Catholic Church in India which actually arrests people for, uh, it draws people to his beauty. And that has to do with what we talked about here, that human nature is what we find beautiful, we deem to be true, I mean good, and if it's good, we deem it to be true. So rather than missions being truth seekers, as we're famous for saying, going after the truth, this more is a more um, holistic approach that says, why don't you immerse yourself in something beautiful? You may not understand it, but just come away and think, see if you find it to be beautiful, which was, again, would fit very much. Uh, what you see in African, especially, but you see in Asian Christianity as well. And this way, uh, in his uh, book and in his interview, his interview, rather, in 07, this is where Jenkins shakes out. In short, Christians of European descent, maybe you and I, Pat, should learn that they are not necessarily the norm within the Christian tradition, still less the authentic core, nor perhaps have they ever been. Have a nice dose of humility. Well, it is. It's, uh, he said, we have, yeah, I think, I think it, uh, that's what arrested me in this interview and why I picked up his book is um, we have a way of understanding Western mission that for many years turned out to be what uh, we used to say in crusade, very similar to Bud Wilkinson. I know you no one know him anymore, but his Oklahoma football team won 41 straight games at one point in the 1950s. And uh, when John F. Kennedy launched a physical fitness program for America, he became the spokesperson, or he was asked to be the spokesperson. And he was asked, what has college football given to the uh, health of America? And he said, I don't think it's given anything. He said, at that point, he said, I define college football. The game is 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest and 77,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> And in many ways, that's the church today. It's a few hardy souls desperately in need of rest and uh, thousands in the stands in the theater desperately in need of exercise. And uh, from the stage, we're promoting approaches to, quote, evangelism or evangelization that, in fact, 
are meaningless to the audience, which relegates us to we cheer from the grandstands, we hear people come to hear popular evangelists, and we hope to God they come to faith. Our intentions are good. But uh, as George Barna pointed out way back in 1990, they're just not effective. And they also tend to think we in the Western world, we know how to do this. And they lack what we have. Jenkins' whole point is, no, actually Asian and African Christianity, where the gospel is now more effective, actually brings things to the table collaboration and translation being the two chief ones, and why, in short, Christians of European descent are not necessarily the norm in the Christian tradition, nor have they ever been.